0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, for those of you who are new here, is a QA podcast that covers the questions and comments that came in on the Mandarin Blueprint Method video course in the comments section below each video, uh, or it came in through the Mandarin Blueprint Community Forum, or perhaps email. But as usual, we always start each lesson, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, with a grammar point. And today's grammar point covers the tag. GW relator towards what PPT so this is a grammar point covering 对, which usually people uh, learn as meaning correct like 对不对, uh, as in am I right or not correct or not and that is true but it also can be used as a relator which is our you know word for preposition because preposition doesn't indicate anything about what it means whereas relator or a 解詞, is a word that shows you the relationship between Uh, usually sometimes two people, a person and a thing. It's kind of expressing, in this case, towards. So perhaps you speak towards something or you have an opinion towards something or an attitude or a treatment towards something. Now, I do want to make a distinction. This is not the same as the towards that we covered when we talked about the character Wang, which is more about the literal direction that you're moving, and there's usually a destination involved, this is more abstract. So it's, as I say, you know, like things like what's your attitude towards something. And the best way to get this across as usual is to show some example sentences. So here's sentence one. So here we can see that 对 comes right before ta and then a verb. So it's expressing that the speech is towards... Him. So, you would imagine that your friend overhears you say in the other room, but they're not looking at you like they're in the other room, and they overhear you say, well, I need," And then they come in excitedly, like, Who did you say you love? Uh, who would you say I love you to? And you'd say, well, So, that way you can indicate the target of your speech. So, that's a very simple sentence that shows, Okay, you, you're speaking. Who are you speaking towards? Doi ta. But it doesn't always have to be a person. Uh, for example, in sentence two, we could see we see here, 对这件事不想多说. He doesn't want to talk much about the matter. So in this case, the target is 这件事. So it's an abstract thing. It's just a, a matter or an issue. And then what about it? 不想多说. Don't want to speak too much about it. So uh, that's an example of the more kind of straightforward way to express towards using dui. But how about if you want to express opinions? Well, in this case we're going to use dui blank lai shuo. This is how you express whose perspective does an opinion come from. Let's take a look at this sentence. 这些钱对他来说不少. This is no small amount of money in his opinion. So, you could write this sentence as dui ta lai shuo zhe qian bu shao. That's fine as well. Um, but either way, what we have is well, whose opinion is it? It's ta, And this is often used with pronouns. For example, 对我来说, uh, So in my opinion, Mandarin Blueprint's uh, pretty neat. Um, but it could be, 对他来说, 对你来说, These are all fine, but uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a pronoun. It could be, for example, 对我们说英文的人来说, for those of us who speak English, learning Chinese is a bit harder than learning other languages. So here you see that the uh, opinion comes from 我们说英文的人. So it's not just or Ta; it's people who speak English and by saying 我们说英文的人, the speaker is including themselves in that particular uh, perspective. So it's possible when you're expressing an opinion and you use the 对 sure to have as articulated as you like a person or people whose perspective this comes from. And so uh, that's how you express opinions using toi. Now, what about attitude? You can use toi to express your attitude towards something. And usually when you uh, will express an attitude, you're covering you're using some kind of psychological verb like satisfied or interested or responsible for something that requires an internal kind of verb so uh, let's take a look at a couple of sentences that'll give you a sense of this ta she's not satisfied with her boyfriend so she ta towards towards what ta her boyfriend, and then what's the final attitude? That's the end of the sentence. Is boo yi? So not satisfied. By the way, man yi. That's a really cool word because it literally means full meaning. So man means full, like a, and you've got it's got the water component on the side, so you can imagine a cup filled all the way. It's man It's already completely filled. And then the second character yi means meaning. So full of meaning means you're satisfied or 不滿意 means you're not satisfied. And so she towards her boyfriend not satisfied. Here's another sentence. Sentence. 你对我的同事感兴趣吗? 你 subject what? 我的同事, my colleague. What's your attitude? 感興趣? Ma. So, 感兴趣 means to be interested in. And, so, and it's also a question, so we add in ma at the end. Are you interested in my colleague? So, this structure of subject plus 对 plus object plus psychological verb helps you express an attitude towards something or usually a person uh, using 对. And there are a few words that come up a lot in this uh, particular structure, and this is not an exhaustive list, but let's take a look at a few of them. 对 something something yǒu that would mean to be have an interest in and it's a little bit different from gǎn because especially if you have duì plus a person plus gǎn chu that has a feeling of like romantic interest you know nǐ tā gǎn ma are you uh, interested in him or interested in her and so um if you just say Chu," that has more of a feel of like just an interest in general, like I'm interested in the topic of this book or something like that now, uh here's a couple of more "dui something something fu to be responsible for, or "dui something something Shuang to be disappointed with, or "dui something something Haosi that would be to be curious about, and so all of these are examples of where you're using doi before an object and then expressing your attitude towards it. So that should help clarify when you can use doi to express attitude. Finally, let's look at how you can use doi to express your treatment towards something. So for example, uh, if you were to think of the word doi, it has a few other uh, constituent words, one of them being dai, And the word dai means to treat... Someone or treatment of someone or something, and so that's where the this usage derives. Where you can talk about how you are treating something. One of the best examples comes from sentence seven: Not eating vegetables is bad for your health. So, doi what towards what身体, which means body or health. It's kind of cool how the Chinese don't really make a distinction between your body and your health. If your body's not good, your health is not good, and fair enough. And so, 对 what? 对身体. And then, what's the opinion there after it? 不好. So, 不吃菜. 对身体不好. So, you could say, 偷烟, smoking. 对身体不好. You could say, 不运动. Not, uh, Not exercising. And if you wanted to say that something is actually good for your health, that is a good way to treat your health, you could just switch 不 with 很. So, 多多运动对身体很好。That's an example of using it in a good way. Frequently exercising is good for your health. So, once again, it's how do you treat your body, treat your health? 对身体 or it doesn't have to be just your body. It could be other things that you treat well or not. How about a person? So let's take a look at this sentence. Now this sentence is a little bit long and it uses the double yo structure where she's making two points. She's saying not only is he treat me well, which is the only point that matters for this particular grammar point, but he also looks good, in which case we've got the uh, two yo. In the sentence, but don't worry about that for now. The main thing is that she says, "对我好," or "对我很好," or "对我不好." These are the different ways you could say it, and it's just treatment of a person is it good, "好," or is it not good, "不好." So, regardless of whether you're expressing opinions, attitudes, treatments, etc. Dui relates to how a subject is behaving towards the object. So keep your eye out for these as you move forward, and that way you can 对你自己很好. Next, we'll move into our comments and emails. The first one is by Faraz in the community forum. He says, I wanted to pick people's brains on how much time they spend reviewing on Anki. About a week ago, I found that I was spending a lot of time doing my reviews, to the point that I couldn't study new words. Anki wanted me to review 150 to 250 cards per day, half grammar, half words, which was taking me 1 to 1.5 hours a day. I did not have the time to do that, plus learn a meaningful number of new words each day. I managed to reduce this to 45 minutes to an hour by downloading the Speed Focus Anki add on, which makes me automatically reject a card if I spend more than 15 seconds on it. I found it to be a good approach because if I have to spend that much time thinking about a word, I essentially don't know it. However, this is still a bit more time than I'd like to spend reviewing. To be clear, I am not counting adding new cards then encountering them in Anki for the first time as part of the review process. Review is strictly old cards. Should I just time box my Anki review to 30 minutes a day, hard stop? Does anybody have experience doing less than the Anki recommendation or tweaking the parameters? And thoughts on whether that affects retention. Generally speaking, what is an effective ratio of reviewing time versus time spent learning new words? So this is a a great problem to analyze because everybody's going to go through this, especially if they have a limited amount of time. But first, we need to diagnose how did this happen in the first place? So... I'm sure that this happened in the first place because Faraz was getting uh, excited about the new words that he was learning and putting a lot of new content into his review queue. But eventually, you get to a point where your number of reviews each day is getting somewhat overwhelming as he's experiencing. So what this means is that there are too many new facts going into the queue because The Anki algorithm already gets it to the point where you're reviewing it the minimum amount of time so that you still retain everything you learn at a 90 to 95 percent retention rate, which is, you know, based on over 100 years of research. So we shouldn't assume that the amount of reviewing time is, quote unquote, too much, because if it's too much, that suggests that all that research on spaced repetition is somehow doesn't apply to you or doesn't apply to me. We should assume that it does apply to us. To, to you or me. So, with that in mind, it means that the amount of time reviewing that you have to spend reviewing is the minimum amount of time you must spend reviewing if you want to have a decent retention rate. So, that means that there are, there are just too many new facts going into the review queue if your review time is taking too long. So, here's what I suggested to Faraz and here's what you might do if you end up in the same situation. So, for a few days or maybe a week even, don't add any new content. Just keep reviewing each day. And what will naturally happen is that as you're reviewing the cards and you're getting many of them right, uh, you'll end up creating longer and longer intervals and therefore you will eventually have less time each day to review. So once you get it down to a manageable level, say 30 minutes, then what you do is you add, you, you do your reviews first. So you get that out of the way. So say you have an hour and... uh, Let's say just say an hour for the sake of argument. You have an hour to review. Uh, Or sorry, I should say you have an hour to study Chinese in general that day. Not just an hour to review. You have an hour in general. So it takes you 30 minutes to do your reviews. So you have 30 minutes remaining. Take 15 minutes to learn new content. And then take uh, the remaining 15 minutes to put that new content through Anki as new cards. So uh, anytime you learn new content, you unsuspend those cards, they enter your new card queue, and then you review them the same day. So that's what should be happening every time you do your reviews. And so uh, this is the formula for how you do it. You basically go, how much time do I have total? In this example, I said one hour. First, you do your reviews – And then you see how much time you have left over, and then you uh, take that time and split it in half. So if you have one hour, it takes you 30 minutes to do your reviews. That means you have 30 minutes remaining, so 15 minutes of learning new content, 15 minutes of putting that new content into Anki. And that could be your formula for figuring out how to add not too much new content so that your reviews the next day become too much. It all is based on how much time you have on that given day. So I would recommend figuring out, okay, today I have an hour. Today I have two hours, whatever it is. And if you have a day where you suddenly have a lot more time, uh, just be careful how much new content you add. So like say you suddenly have a three-hour day to practice. Well, you know, you might want to do something where you go, okay, I'm going to do my reviews. And then I'm going to learn for a limited amount of time and then put those new cards into your review queue. Because if tomorrow you only have an hour and you learned you know, a number of new things, like way too much new content the day before, then an hour is not going to be enough to do all your reviewing. So there's some degree of that. So just be be aware that it is possible to overwhelm your reviews if you have too many new cards. Next, we have a comment from Jonathan Pritchard in the community forum. He says... Life went si- sideways for a couple months, and my daily practice fell off the radar, but I put in four consecutive days of refreshing my Anki cards. Even with all the mnemonic experience I have, I'm still majorly impressed with the high retention of the characters I'd practiced a while back. I love it. I can't say enough good things about all the work you've put in. It really is amazing how much, uh, how effective mnemonics are when it comes to retention because the idea is that, as I mentioned in the previous comment, it is true that Anki in and of itself as a spaced repetition should be pretty darn good at helping you retain things. If you originally had an excellent retention method through mnemonics, then you might even retain it regardless of Anki, Um, which is something that is, that's why it's good that Anki has the easy button, because if you really remember a scene super well, then you don't have to review it that much. You just need to review it like a little bit. So it's good that Anki has that easy option and, uh, yeah, Jonathan, keep it up now that you're back. Next, we have a comment by Cameron in the community forum. He says, Hey, my name is Cameron. I live in Melbourne, Australia. I am two days into the Mandarin Blueprint experience and I'm loving it so far. While I am not a complete beginner, I am emptying my cup to start again with a fresh mind. I have always been interested in China and Chinese culture thanks to my parents and martial arts. I even studied traditional Chinese medicine at university here in Melbourne for two years before switching out after realizing that career wasn't for me. I have started and stopped learning a few languages along the way, including Mandarin, but i am determined to make it work this time, and this course is feeling like the perfect fit right now. Cheers, Cameron. Well, uh, the key to any success is to have a strong enough internal motivation – and then hopefully, what we can provide here at Mandarin Blueprint is a, a framework that you can trust in. So it's like, you know, we can't make you be motivated. We can, you know, give some advice and we can give uh, some ways of thinking about things that you may find motivating, but we ultimately can't make you motivated. But what we can do is make it so that when you are motivated, uh, you can trust in the materials you're using. It's a shame that we've seen many times where people are very motivated, but then they end up going through the traditional learning route with textbooks and and tutors and, you know, all that sort of traditional route, and their motivation gets a, it's like gets a cold shower because it just uh, is too untrustworthy. It's too ineffective. So hopefully what we can do here at Mandarin Blueprint is give you an effective toolkit. Uh, and uh, welcome, Cameron. Good to have you here. Alex C. in the community forum. He says, Hey, team, I just completed the pronunciation mastery course, and I wanted to say that it's been absolutely phenomenal, and I can't wait to continue with the foundation course. My Mandarin teacher, pre-COVID, has said my that my pronunciation has been quite good, but after taking the course and delving into the subtle nuances and details, I feel confident I'm on track to being really solid. Thank you so much. I would love to know what the approximate estimated number of active hours would be required to complete the Mandarin Blueprint Method Foundation course. That includes video hours plus reasonably reasonable expected Anki study hours. Uh, with that number, it makes it easy for me to break down how much time in my schedule will be able to allow me to progress through the course. This is a totally a generalized question, so I understand that the response is also incredibly generalized and becomes a pretty fuzzy range. Well, um, we wrote a couple of articles about this. The foundation course, I believe you can finish in about 250 hours. Um And that's based on everything you said there. We took into account Anki reviews, we took into account an amount of time watching videos, uh, and then we also did one about the entire Mandarin Blueprint Method course uh, through the Intermediate, and so you can check that out on our website. It's uh, one of the main uh, pinned posts on our blog. So check that out over there to get a sense of that. Next, Fred Snyder in the community forum. He says, Hi Luke and Phil, I have a question. From past study, I have a character recognition and use of about 1,000 words and characters able to read and understand graded readers with that level. For part one of the Mandarin Blueprint Method, I know most of the vocabulary and can't see the point in creating scenes and movies. Question, how can I use the Mandarin Blueprint Method to look up those usually more complicated characters and trace back to how to use components and characters that I already know in creating memory cues. Not sure if I'm explaining my issue clearly, but any comments would be helpful. By the way, the pronunciation course was fantastic. Thanks, Fred. So, um, I wrote an article about this called uh, How to Approach the Mandarin Blueprint Method as an Intermediate Learner, where I detail how to do this, but here's how you want to think of it, Fred. Uh, The of Movie Method is incredibly effective at teaching you New characters, and you know maybe a thousand words and characters, which means you have a lot more characters to learn. The hands of movie method is the most effective way to quickly get those into your long term memory. However, you do need to know, it is a system where you have to know the tools in the system so you need to know your actor sets and props which are representations of the pinion initials pinion finals and character components respectively and so you must know those things to be able to learn a new character so how you approach it is you follow the course and then you uh as you're following the course you um C, do I know this particular character component, and have I made a prop for it? And if you didn't use a mnemonic system before, you didn't make any props for any components, so you'll need to make props for the different components. You'll need to choose uh, actors to become the representation of the pinion initials, and you'll need to choose your 13 sets. So once you've done that, so basically you go through the course and you – Look at every single pick a prop lesson, every single pick a prop lesson, every single casting call lesson, and every single set the scene lesson. All of them require you to put in and input into Anki your individual actor sets and props. Now, the make a movie lessons is where there's room for you to skip if you know everything. So, when you get to a make a movie lesson, you can ask yourself, Do I know the pronunciation, meaning, and writing of this character already? It's already memorized. If you do, then you can skip. But it's good that you didn't skip the pick or prop lesson that came before it because, again, you need a mnemonic image to represent every character component. So uh, that's the way you approach it. You just skip any make a movie lessons that are of characters you already know or any new vocabulary unlocked lessons that are of words you already know, and you'll be all set. Next, we have an email from Al Roy. He says, okay, this is a relatively minor thing in the bigger picture, but it was a cool aha moment for me. I've been faithfully going through my Anki cards day after day, and some stuff I pick up on with little or no real effort. While I can go over and over and over other things, and even though I see the English translation at the bottom after hitting the show answer button, they just don't make thinking sense to me. On one of the Another Brick Added Grammar Review cards, there is the following sentence. 那如果你还是觉得不完美, Okay, so it's not a super complicated sentence, but for me, it just wouldn't click. So tonight, I went over it a few more times, and suddenly the clouds opened up and I saw a bit of sunshine, so to speak. And I got it. Yippee! But that isn't all of this story. As I continue to work through the lessons, the daily exposure to characters, words, and sentences does seem to be having the desired effect. So after I finally got the above Chinese sentence... I said to myself, I finally get it. And then I said out loud, 我总算了解了。Okay, so I probably got a bit too excited and end up leaving out of this or that, but the cool thing was that it was completely generated in Chinese. Now I know I've done a few of, these, uh, of those before, but so far I think they've all closely paralleled other sentences that were memorized. But this was a pure sentence, generated in Chinese without having to think anything in Korean or English. I grabbed my phone and spoke it into the that bastion of accurate machine translation, sarcastic, Google Translate, and it came out in English as, I finally understand. Good enough for me, at least for now. I've learned 480 characters so far to level 31. I find that I'm more in a flow state when I actually know more characters and don't have to rely on using the top-down translations as I go along. But in reality, I am working through sentences at level 18. But things seem to be accelerating, probably a short growth spurt, but I'll take it, a bit over the past few days as I've learned more characters. So I expect to work through several levels per day over the coming week. And I'm quite excited about it. With the number of characters I've learned, I intend to slowly change my focus more towards spending time on the content and not focus quite as, so heavily on the characters. But so far it's helped me the way I had hoped it would. I remember passing through the longer readings a while back, as I focused on just acquiring Hanzi for a couple of weeks. So I expect I'll be encountering those readings, uh, probably sometime this week. I'm very much looking forward to that. Side note: I fully expect to be farther along. I fully expected to be farther along by now, but life has a funny way, at times, of getting in front of these the things I want to do and making a deal with other more pressing things. And this, of course, pulls me away from study time, whether I like it or not. But I'm still thrilled to be making progress in spite of all that. Just thought I'd reach out and let you all know where I'm at. This is kind of sort of becoming more fun as I progress. Cheers, Al. Well, this is great to hear because what you're saying here, Al, is is that something that you know we know, but it's great to see that you're recognizing this process, is that much of what the – grammar acquisition process looks like is accepting what you see as in a basic understanding. So if you read a sentence and you can understand what it means at a basic level, that will eventually accumulate to a critical mass where you can generate Chinese sentences. And this is called the activation process. So the fact that your brain automatically said, means that you're starting to have the the language module really do its work and that's something that is hard to see on a day-to-day basis but the fact that you're taking the time to reflect on that means your motivation will likely stay high because you can see your progress we all want to know that our progress is working also as a small point in a couple of the emails you sent us the word hanzi but you actually wrote the the word hanzi which is a uh a manly man a hanzi is a manly man the the second character zi should have the roof component at the top if you want to indicate chinese character so just want to point that out because it's a very common mistake that people will make they'll they'll just type in the pinyin for h-a-n-z-i and it will come up as the hanzi which is a man of a manly man guy but you need to have it to be hanzi which is the letters of the han Um, so that's just a small point there, but thanks so much for the feedback. It's great to hear that and, um, you know, keep it up. And we're always happy to hear these updates. Next, we have an email from Henry. He says, hi, Luke and Phil. Thank you. For your personal email concerning my experience with the Mandarin Blueprint method, it's been very interesting to know there's a systematic method to learn and remember Chinese characters. I'm a slow learner, so I'm just passing level 3 to level 4 and trying to put things together. I shall update you about my progress. In the meantime, I know I will slowly but surely master the techniques and can't wait for the day I can read Mandarin without pinyin help. Thanks again for sharing the excellent method of teaching slash studying Mandarin. Best regards, Henry Trong. And uh, yeah, we're, we're thrilled to have you on the course. And you know, you'll you, you say you're a slow learner, but to be honest, mnemonics can be... They, they can... Let's just put it this way. Keep an open mind to the fact that you may not be slow at this process once you get the hang of it. Level 3 or 4, you're still really learning the method. Um, but Once you get the hang of it, there's nothing that says, like, oh, I was a slow learner in school. Yeah, well, maybe you were a slow learner in school with the traditional, crappy, institutionalized educational systems that uh, kind of are all over the world. But it may be that you end up discovering that these methods you're quite good at. So I wouldn't pigeonhole yourself by saying that you're a slow learner. Maybe you'll be a fast learner. Who knows? Next, Darcy Mallon by email Hi, Phil and Luke. I absolutely endorse with no reservations using your program to learn Mandarin. I love it, in fact. I hesitated in the beginning because I had just paid premium for Chinese 101 and had several small apps that were working somewhat. I should have paid for your full subscription cost without taking the discount in all fairness to your excellent program, but I had no idea yet how much work had gone into developing these courses, nor how valuable they would prove to be. I'm only starting today on level 13, and I'm so excited to get to it. Can we wait a bit for, to figure out how best to give you feedback and, and in a form I can do? Right now, I just want to get uh, into this level and see what Anki offers me. Thanks for all your patience in answering my inquiries quickly. Best regards, Darcy. Well, uh, so thrilled that you're enjoying it. And You know, you hit on the point that is a bit of a... A difficult thing for us from a marketing perspective, uh, which is that it doesn't really matter that our course has so much more content and is so much more well researched than other online courses. If our price is, you know, we're a little bit higher than other courses, but our prices could be reasonably, you know, 10 times the price and it would be justified based on the content, but it doesn't really matter because people just go, all online courses are created equal when they first start looking into them, and they go Duolingo's, you know, ten bucks a month. So why not do that? Having no understanding that Duolingo's Chinese program is not even nearly as uh, in depth as ours is, and so it is a bit of a frustrating thing about that. But on the other hand, uh, because all of the most of the cost uh, in making the course is already behind us. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of, a huge amount of overhead right now, so we can kind of afford to still have it at a price point that is comparable to these other inferior products. So, um, but thank you for uh, your endorsement, Darcy. And, uh, yeah, we can check in with you at the end of the foundation course and see how you're doing then. Next, we have a comment from Phil Chalinor on make a movie die, which is the character for bag. If someone had shown me this symbol four weeks ago. I'd have said it looked virtually impossible to recognize. Never mind, know how to pronounce it with the correct tone and write it as well. Terrific method again, guys. Can't say it enough. Sure, Dai is a character that looks quite complicated, but when you break it down, it's actually pretty simple. But it's a lot of Chinese characters, and you have to build up in a logical fashion. So thrilled to hear that you're finding the uh, method so effective, Phil. Helen Lemon on... Uh, New vocabulary unlocked, yi ban. I'm writing this now in case, as I get more confident, I forget the sense of elation I felt finishing this lesson and realizing, with the pronunciation course under my belt, that I was making real progress. I tried to learn Chinese when I lived in Shanghai for a few months, but so very little seemed to stick that I lost confidence. Your method is really transformative, and I'm very, very pleased I found it. Thank you. Well, that's fantastic, Helen. And, you know, that's pretty quick to recognize just how... certain your success is if you keep going. Because that's what you're feeling. You're feeling like, oh, this is going to work. And uh, ban, that's the first word, <laughs> that's the first two-character word we teach in the course. So that's uh, fantastic that you're already getting a sense of that. And uh, keep it up. Julio Nova Navoa Barron on bonus video, The Six Types of Chinese Characters Part 3 of 3. Wow, now it all makes sense. I gave up Chinese twice because I couldn't understand the characters especially when you have the exact pronunciation for each different one. You explained in one simple page the components so easily, it's, it makes my mind blow up. Well, <laughs> well that's the uh, – certainly the process of learning Chinese uh, is a mind-blowing experience so, and, and at many different levels. It's not just understanding the characters. It's also as you continue to get more and more input, you'll find that many concepts that you uh, sort of just accepted in your native language uh, – When they're framed in Chinese, you go, oh, wow, this is like a totally new view on sometimes even the simplest of things, like just the nature of an object or uh, a concept and how you could reconceptualize it in the Chinese way and see it in a different light. You'll get more and more of those as you go along, and it really is quite a fun feeling. So uh, congratulations on already having that sense, uh, Julio. Next, we have a comment from Aaron Braden on Mandarin Syllables Introduction. He says, Thank you, thank you, Mandarin Blueprint, for creating this awesome program. I've been intimidated before trying to learn Mandarin, but the way Mandarin Blueprint is set up makes it so much easier and gives me confidence that I can learn it. How you guys break down how to pronounce the words makes so much sense. So far, I'm having a blast. Well, you're quite early in the course, in the Pronunciation Mastery course, and just keep it up. You know, everything is just... A, an individual fact that needs to be learned. And if you can break it down into its uh, component parts, it's just a matter of walking the path. So you're on your way, and we will continue to break things down in such a fashion throughout the entire course. So have a great time and uh, keep it up, Aaron. Christine on Pick a Prop for Ba. I'm a bit confused. Maybe this was addressed previously, but if you want to associate... Uh, the character with the meaning, and you already had used BB-8 from Star Wars in the movie to create this character, why can't you continue to use BB-8 as the prop to represent this? So this is a question that, you know, you learn the character, Ba in a a make-a-movie, and then after that we say pick-a-prop. And sometimes people are looking backwards when they are at this pick-a-prop section. They go, well, wait, I didn't I just make a movie for this character? Why am I now coming up with a prop to represent this character. I just did that. And the answer is that this is not about the p- character that you or the movie scene you just made. It's about future characters that are going to use this character as a component. Ba is a very simple component, and it exists in several other characters. So I should say it's a very simple character, and it exists as a component in more complicated characters. So, uh... If your your movie scene ended up with BB-8, you have the option to use BB-8 as your representation of Ba, but it's not required. If you would rather use an 8-ball or you'd rather use uh, something else that you associate with 8, that's fine too. It's really up to you, so it's not to say that you can't, it's just that by having a pick-a-prop lesson, we are indicating you, to you that this character is also a component. Not every character is also a component, so some ca- some characters have already reached their level of complication, uh, and they won't their their highest level of complication. They won't be used as an entire character in future characters. And so, if that's the case, you will not pick a prop. But when it's a simple character like ba, it's very likely that the entire character is going to exist in more complicated characters. At which point, you must choose a representation of it, and it may be that the movie that you made is a good representation, but it's also possible you'd rather have something else. So it's really just your choice. So it's not that you can't use BB-8, it's that you have a choice. Here we have a uh, uh, comment from Mary, who is away for a little bit. Mary says, I had a really difficult month when I was working back-to-back and only managed to revise some Anki sporadically. Good news, I can remember how all of the um looks and what the words mean. And I can still write them recognizably and with the strokes in the right order. I remember all my initial sounds and tones. Bad news, I can't remember why the final here is an I. Could you point me to the lessons regarding finals again? Sorry. And this is in the Make-A-Movie for Z, as in ZI-HUA. And uh, the final uh, is actually, we call this a null final. Because all of the E sounds are represented by a female actress. And that's why uh, you don't need to have a final. Because if we know that, like sounds like ji or T or she or um, P are all females then the female itself represents the i the fact that it's uh jennifer aniston for example represents the i and so the the point being that if you have j for like jennifer aniston she represents j and i the j part of it is her name and the i part of it is that she's female and then Uh, that leaves nothing else because it's just deep. So that means no final, which means it takes place in your childhood home. So uh, you'll get the hang of that in no time again. I'm sure it was just uh, being away for a little bit. You forgot that detail. No problem. Lamata Augustus on casting call for R1255. He says, quick question. If I'm in the zone and studying for a few hours in a row, say two or more hours, is it okay to take a 10 minute or uh, a 10 minute or so music break? A music break that has nothing to do with the Chinese language. I guess it could be music break or something else totally unrelated to Chinese. Curious to know what your thoughts are about that. I mean, absolutely, because your brain needs to step away from things sometimes to uh, properly re uh, evaluate it. So, this is, this is why time boxing, when you do 10 minutes, th- uh, there's often a two minute break in between your 10 minute uh, study period. So, you'll study for 10 minutes, break for two minutes, study for 10 minutes. And in the break, you're encouraged not to think at all about what you're studying. So that your unconscious mind has a chance to, to handle it and uh, step away from it for a, for a little bit. So, uh, absolutely, if you want to take a music break, uh, that will almost invariably help your study uh, go longer and be better processed. So, by all means. Nor Eckerberg on make a movie for Le. This is an interesting one. Uh, so let's go into it. He says, "Hey team, I proudly I proudly told my Chinese friend." that I've learned the concept of le as a change, and she didn't understand what I meant, so I took the example you had in the video about uh, liking someone. She said that the sentence makes no sense at all. I asked why, why, and she said that it just makes no sense to a Mandarin speaker, but she was not sure why. I don't know, but 我喜欢她了. Just makes no sense, that's for sure. I asked her for better examples, and she gave, you're introducing your cousin to your buddy. This is my little cousin. She's a cute girl, and... Um, it makes sense, and cool here emphasizes the depths of emotion. I smile, but in Chinese, you cannot say 我笑了 is a necessity here. You can also say Wo le. I uh, super like eating, a clumsy verbatim translation. So I have two questions. What's wrong with the sentence you provided, and why does a native speaker think it's so weird? Was it taken out of context, maybe? And can you explain how the concept of change in her examples, especially one with eating and cousin? Um, yeah so so there's a couple of things here so some if you're taking an individual sentence, it's really hard f- so if you're talking to a native speaker, they never think of their language in terms of teaching it right or in terms of learning it so they're not necessarily going to think about the context of like so if I see the sentence uh was you um as a non-native speaker, I might think about some context where you might say that. But as a native speaker, that's not usually what you would do. You, 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 so, for example, 喜欢. If you're, if you're a native speaker, you probably think, and when you say 喜欢 a person, what that usually means is like someone is in romantically like them. And if that's the context in which you're thinking of it, then you're not necessarily thinking of it from a grammatical perspective. You're thinking like, we would say ta. Or 我喜欢上了他. And so why are they saying 我喜欢他了? Um, and the reason is just that we were trying to get across an, a basic sentence and just show that if you added 了, it would mean a change. But it doesn't mean that, like, this is a common context or this is a thing that you would say very often. It's just saying that adding 了 would have to indicate that there was a change that occurred. And so it's not like you know, there is some context where you would say that. It might be a very weird context. It might be a context that comes up very, very rarely. And that's why a native speaker would be like, that's weird. We would. Na- why would we ever say that? Because they're not thinking in terms of what is a context where you might say that. Our only purpose was just to say that l- must indicate a change. So if there's a l- in the sentence, there's a change somewhere. Now, the fact that a native speaker can't conceptualize where that change might be because there's no surrounding context does not indicate the sentence is grammatically wrong. It just means that there's probably very few contexts where you would say that. Um, But it doesn't mean that it doesn't, it's not a grammatically correct sentence. And at this early stage of the course, as a matter of fact, this is not even in the grammar section of the course yet. Uh, I was just sort of throwing it in there in the um, make a movie for le video, just as a preview of something you're going to get used to. So there's kinda of like there's the meta thing here, which is that don't worry too much about it right now because it's just sort of a we're just indicating to you that hey, this is a thing that foreigners sometimes get tripped up on and it just means a change, but worry about it later. And then the example is, you know, the example that she gives here, the well cuss you tala, that's just a t- different sentence. It's just a totally different cause if you say, Well, cuss you tala, that's like adding that not is um Uh, it's just adding a, like she says, a depth of emotion or adding a a different feel to it. And so like, that's, it's just a different thing that would be said there. And then, uh, well, xiao le is the reason why you would have a le there is because you're generally not smiling. It's like, not like you walk around as your natural state is smiling. So if you smile, it's a change compared to your natural, uh, state before then, before that. Um, and so, yeah, so like I would, um, when when a native speaker says that the way you have to remember that is that it do, just because something is is not contextually clear like that's the other problem is it's a, it's just a sentence by itself there's no other context there's no like conversation where somebody said uh in the context of the conversation so I can understand why a native speaker would be like, why would this happen but it's not their experience to think about that type of thing because they didn't learn their native language as an adult. So um, anyway, I, I know that that's kind of an annoying answer because it's just basically like, it, it's just, it's just that they're not the frame that they're looking at it from is not um, the same as that of a learner. So ultimately it's, you know, I, I'm not saying don't talk to native speakers about what makes sense, but if you just have an individual sentence by itself, uh, without context, the frame of reference that they're going to use to look at it is going to be, you know, not necessarily the best for for a learner. Next, we have a comment from Alex Chong on Make a Movie for Tong. He says, I'm noticing that I'm having a challenging time coming up with props in particular because as I come up with something, the examples in the video keep overriding my choices because of how often it's mentioned. This is causing me to have a double association with each prop to the point where I think I've Just surrendered and defaulted to the suggested prop. Is this a common phenomenon you notice from other students, or is it just me personally? Well, you're only on character eight right now, so I think that it's, um, you know, it's a bit early to assume that this is going to continue to happen. Uh, But if you're, if you get how the system works, then you don't have to watch the video. Like we actually stop requiring. Uh, every lesson to have a video after character 105 because we know that you get how it works at that point so if you don't want to be confused you can always just uh skip the video if you want um and just do it yourself without you know just in your head i mean after all all this is really just teaching you how to do this stuff in your head anyway um that said though it's only character eight so i think that if you keep going you'll find that it becomes less of an issue moving forward Simon Meller on Anki decks inside level 6 complete. Hey Luke, on the point of having difficulty with some characters remembering sets or actors, even with daily reviews, would you suggest visually reinforcing the same ones more clearly or instead selecting entirely new ones? So, this is a good question. If you're having trouble remembering an actor or remembering a set, should you consider changing it or should you consider uh, doing some kind of emphasis? I, I mean... There's no absolute answer to this, but bear in mind, if you change it, then theoretically any other uh, characters that you used in that set would also have to change. So the further you would get along, the less practical that would be. Um, However, uh, here's how you can do to um, make it visually more memorable. So if you forgot the actor then what you need to do is, in your scene, have the actor interact more, have a close-up on their face, something, have them uh, display a personality trait that's unique to them or uh, wearing something that's unique to them. And just add some detail, make them brighter, make them a different color or something, if you want. Um, and then, uh, in the case of the set, make sure you involve the set. Do, make something about the set play a role in your scene so that it's more likely that you'll remember it. So these are all fixable things which your Anki cards will reveal to you which is the weak part of your story, and then just try to emphasize that part somehow. It's actually quite simple. Alex Sumray on Make a Movie for Moo. Hi there. How often will this character be used compared to Mama? So Moo means mother. It can also mean uh, female in terms of animals. So if you were to say... uh, Mou uh, mao, that would be mean a female cat. Um, but when you're talking about uh, the mother or mama uh, meaning mom, the difference between them is basically the same as between mother and mom in English, except that mu is only a morpheme. It's not uh, a word. So the word for mother in Chinese is mu. And so mama is like mom and muqin is like mother so basically you'll say mother in a slightly more formal context and you'll say mom when you're informal so it's basically that difference nor Eckerberg on make a movie for du according to my chinese friend a lot of chinese don't even know the, the distinction of the word and referred to it as ancient chinese and i thought it was very cool that i knew this I assume that it was used in this lesson since it's much easier to imagine a bullseye rather than a grammatical particle, right? Because d is obviously most often a grammatical particle indicating possession. Uh, however, uh, it also has an ancient um, meaning of target or like a bullseye and a target. And also in the word, where it's pronounced that means purpose or, you know, like... Um, not exactly a goal that's a mu biao but like a mu di is your purpose like your purpose in life and so if you're hitting if your eye is on the bullseye then you're gonna achieve your purpose and so um that's uh that's pretty that's that's cool that your chinese friends didn't know that and like you know some chinese people aren't necessarily uh versed in ancient chinese so you know that's uh that's pretty cool nice William and he's on level fifty-seven complete. That means that he is all the way through the course. Congratulations, Williams! You you did it. Uh, he said, "Not that this is a race, but it took three hundred and six days to reach one thousand five hundred and thirty characters uh, from zero. Just another stat to add to Luke and Phil's collection. Bring on the next expansion! Can't wait. Well, that's cool because that's five characters a day. You know, that's not so bad, right? Less than a year, uh, three hundred and six days, and you know that's about. You know, 300 times five would be, uh, yeah, it's actually exactly five characters a day. How about that? Uh, so he must have done that. I bet he did that. I bet he did five characters a day. And so there you go. You do five characters a day, less than a year, you can know 94% of Chinese. That's fantastic. Congratulations, William. Well done. Jason Pan on simple final yu in the pronunciation mastery. He says, wobu Chu is a negative response to will you go drink? And he said, would 我不喝. Also be acceptable. So, like, 喝可乐, Would be a question where you're saying, Do you want to go drink? So we have two verbs here, and Jason's saying, Why is the response if you're not going? 我不去. And not 我不喝. Uh, and so he's saying, What could could you could you say? 我不喝. And the answer is no, not really, because When you have two verbs, it's usually the first verb that is the primary verb you're asking about. Like, do you want to go have a drink? It's like, if I say, do you want to have a drink? Then the primary thing I'm asking you is, do you want a drink? It's the only thing I'm asking you. And that that assumes you're in the same, like I'm offering you a drink where we are. But if I say, do you want to go have a drink? The primary question I'm asking you is, do you want to go? And then the secondary thing we'll do upon arriving somewhere is is have a drink. So... Uh, it would be kind of weird, even in English, if you can imagine. Just, just think of it as the same as English. If you answered by being like, "I don't drink," it's like, "Well, okay, but do you want to go?" Like, it would be kind of like that. The you'd feel like it's an awkward response if somebody said, "I don't want to drink," but they didn't respond to whether or not you wanted to go. You'd be like, "What?" Uh, so, it's similar in Chinese. So, you would respond with the first verb uh, in if you're going to have a negative response. So, that's how that works. Next, we have. Jiggy J Diderick on on uh, new vocabulary unlocked for du. he says, is d always or most of the time followed by tio. Uh, yeah, most of the time it, it it's possible that you leave out tio uh, in certain contexts, but basically it's an if then conditional. So I say something, something d if that qiu, then, so um ta la the 你就去接他. Uh, so that would mean uh, if he comes then go pick him up, right? And so that would be an example of using both of them, but if sometimes you'll leave out 就, especially if you're making a suggestion. So um 他不來的話,我們一起去公園玩吧。我們一起去公園玩吧。I didn't actually say there because it was sort of a suggestion. I said the, 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 the was if he doesn't come if then um, let's go to the park. How about we go to the park? It's a suggestion. It's not like a um, an absolute. And when you have a suggestion like that, sometimes you'll leave out 旧. But generally speaking, if you're just making a statement and you're just doing an if-then statement, then you will use Next, we have uh, two questions, both on the new vocabulary unlocked from 起来. And this is um, the... The, the 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 two questions are both very similar. So Hunter McCoy says, "Is usage one only possible as xiang lai or can xiang be replaced by other verbs?" And then Alex Sumray says, "Been doing fine with the sentences, but this page really threw me. I'm struggling to understand the usage of xiang and lai, amongst other things, and in some of these sentences. It is advisable. Is it advisable to really try and focus on this, or move on and try to acquire it naturally over time?" So um, that was good that. Alex ended his question with that, because the answer is that absolutely just wait until you've seen 起来 in a lot of different contexts, because you'll see it a lot, and it will become clearer and clearer, because uh, like Hunter is pointing out, or is asking, yes, many different verbs can come before 起来. Um and 起来 just means to like start or come about or bring rise to, and so that's kind of abstract and weird, but when you see it with lots of different words, um, you know, 他笑起来了. he started laughing, Right, and so like that it would be weird to say Ta Xiao he begins laughing it is easier to say ta 他笑起来。right so like that 起来, you'll get the sense of how it works when you see it in lots of different contexts and it's just sort of indicating the the arisal of the verb that came before it and It's kind of when you just try to explain it, it's a little bit weird. But when you see it in context loads of times, as Alex asks, then you'll have no problem with it over time. Simon Meller on It's a Word for Bye. This week we had a lot of people asking questions about the sentences that came in phase two, which is like not really when we're focused on sentences, but hey, why not answer them anyway? So he says, just on the sentences below, are we assuming that the flower is part of a patch or place and therefore using 这里 instead of Jia, so the quest- the sentence he's referring to is, "这里的白花很酷." The white flower is cool. Like so, the what the the white flower flowers here are cool. And so, like, "这里的白花" means the white flower or white flowers. Depends on the uh, you know, what it's not clear whether it's plural plural or singular, but. Uh, means the flower the flowers that belong to here you know we don't say it like that in english but that's how you express it in chinese so um any object indicates it's the object that belongs to this place so you might say the um the it's maybe they're at a restaurant and they there's a decorations of white flowers it's like oh the flowers here we wouldn't say the restaurant's flowers or here's flowers. That would be weird. But in Chinese you say it like that. You say "juli du something. Juli de hua. So it's uh that's that's all it is. And then you just make a comment on it, which in this case is chan cool. ku. Cool. Chris Khalitz on This Is What Your Study Session Should Look Like. Uh he says, I downloaded the hands and words levels one through three into Anki. I'm on a Mac, but I do not see the levels broken down in the browse function. That's because uh you need to look a little bit lower. They're down. Um, So first of all, the the actual deck is all of levels 1 through 3. And then below, there are tags. And one of them says MBM level 01, MBM level 02, MBM level 03. And so that's how you find uh, each of those. And uh, so he says, should I download again? No need. You just need to look for the tags a little bit lower in the sidebar. Next, we're going to move to some movie scenes. So these are uh, shared movie scenes in the uh, Mandarin Blueprint Method. Section of the course where we're uh, doing full mnemonic scenes of um, various characters. So we have Phil Chalinor on Make a Movie for Fu, which means father. Forrest Gump is in the bathroom of my childhood home, and there's BB 8, the prop for uh, my prop for Ba, and an old fashioned manual lawnmower. Forrest is pushing the lawnmower, and he is holding BB 8 above the handles as you might a very small child. He is playing with him like a father with his child. So, um, (laughs) you know, yeah, this is a good scene and of course Forrest Gump does end up having a son at the end of the movie and so maybe you can imagine that, uh, the something from the movie where he's, like I remember in the movie he's playing ping pong, although that would introduce some new props, so I don't want to necessarily do that, but like, he does actually use a lawnmower in Forrest Gump, so Maybe, I think this is fine, because he does have that uh, little child in the movie, played by Haley Joel Osmond. And, um, yeah, I think this could, that, that works fine, actually. Um, cool, nice, nice scene. Derek, Derek uh, Huang on Make a Movie for Pui. Sometimes, instead of creating a visual in my head from the normal memory method with props, I would look at this character, break it down, and it looks like a finger poking or pushing a turkey. I do this quite often in these days. If I don't know slash don't remember the character, I would try to break it down and try to recognize it. Hope this helps anyone. I mean, sure, you can always... There, there are some characters you're just going to get right away and you won't need to really make uh, a scene for if you can think of some kind of shortcut. Just... Be strict with yourself when it comes to the Anki card coming up. Like if you can't remember how to write the character, you can't remember how it's pronounced, then you probably should do a full mnemonic scene. But nothing wrong with that, if you because especially at this level, because at this level you're in le- phase five of the course. You've gotten the hang of uh, the Hanza movie method, so I think it's perfectly fine. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Ding. So this, we, we gave, by the way, we gave this character the meaning of pudding, and uh, it's not like the actual meaning in the de- uh, dictionary definition. Uh, it actually has a meaning of fourth from an ancient Chinese heavenly stem. It's the fourth heavenly stem. And it also means like you've got a D on a paper if somebody puts ding at the top. But the character is most often used in English transliterations. So, uh, and one of them being pudding, which is pudding. And so... It's Whenever there's some kind of like ding in English where there's a word that has that sound in it, then this is almost definitely going to be the character they use to uh, represent that. So, um, you know, if there's a person whose name ends in ding, that, that probably is going to have this character in it. And so we thought, okay, pudding is a decent enough uh Key word to help you remember that this is mostly a transliteration character. And as you can see, it's a character that's clearly going to be a prop in later characters. And so it's mostly about coming up with the scene and then making a prop. So anyway, let's see how Donna made this character into pudding. My friend Donna is at the entrance of, or sorry, Della, her friend Donna. So this is Della's scene. My friend Donna is at the entrance of my ENG location. And she desperately wants to enter and go to the cafeteria because she can see through the window that they only have one of her favorite puddings left. However, there is a huge, nasty hockey player (laughs) at the door blocking her way with his stick, because he wants the pudding too. She reaches into her purse for her handy razor blade and deftly throws it, cutting off the top of the hockey stick. Leaving him in wonderment as she zips by him, and so yeah, so this is a good scene. Got the razor blade, got the hockey stick, and got the pudding being the main goal. And I like the audit, the conflict that's built in of there only being one pudding left, and and because it's only one pudding left, you could even make it like bright and shiny with like a behind <laughs> playing in the background. And of course, this scene could have gotten a lot more violent, uh, but she chose to keep it nice and PC or PG, I should say. And uh, that's a. Uh, That's fine. PC and PG. (laughs) All right. Della Fuller on make a movie for da. Donald Trump is in the living room of my daughter's apartment. He believes that she needs a big picture of him up on her wall. Unsurprisingly, he is trying to hammer a nail into the wall, but he keeps hitting his finger. He immediately tweets out that this is Obama's fault. (laughs) Yeah. So nice. So we got finger. We have, uh, the nail, he's, of course, hitting, and that's the, the meaning of this character. And, of course, we have the the actor getting involved by tweeting about it being Obama's fault. Hilarious, great scene, uh, clear enough. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Gua, which means older brother. My grandson Gabriel and his older brother, who can drive, are meeting me at the entrance of a school where I teach, the e location. They are carrying two photos of JFK, one on top of the other, because my students are studying JFK's inauguration inauguration speech today, and I want to put pictures of him on my board. But I forgot them at home by mistake. I give the older brother a big hug and thank him for driving Gabriel. So we establish the older brother. We get the two JFKs, which are the representation of the props here, and, uh, it, it's, it makes sense. These scene, this scene's creative and there's emotion involved in it because there's gratitude and uh, there's that forgetfulness and all of that. So, great. Good stuff. Della Fuller on make a movie for qi, which means uh, to ride, like ride a bike or ride a horse. Hence why the horse component is in it. My niece Chelsea is in the kitchen of my childhood home with Jesus and a horse. Right? So, Jesus is the representation of Miracle on the right. Jesus looks tired. She she suggests to Jesus that he ride the horse and rest up a bit. Sure, why not? <laughs> Short and sweet. Simple. Got both props involved. It involves the riding. And, of course, because horse is in the component. This is an example of where, of course, the component fits with the scene because the it's there in the first place because it's related to the meaning in terms of riding a horse or riding a bike or things like that. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for E, which means chair, my friend Ingrid and Jesus are in the living room of my childhood home with all of my family members and a beautiful pine tree left over from Christmas. So we have the pine tree, we have the Jesus representing the miracle, and um, she looks around, but every couch and chair is filled already. So Jesus asks her to bring him the tree. He touches the tree and miraculously it turns into a chair for her to sit in. She says, no, no, please, you sit. He says, no, please, you sit, <laughs> which is, of course, a common, like, courtesy back and forth. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting that Jesus, of course, does, turns into a chair by a miracle, which is perfectly fine. It fits his character. But he was also a carpenter, so imagining him, like, in a montage, quickly putting together uh, the uh, chair from the tree would be kind of cool, too. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Nay, which means internal, inside. My N actor is in the backyard of my EI set. He finds finds a beautiful umbrella displayed under a glass case. Obviously, very valuable. It begins to rain. He goes through tremendous internal struggle, should he or shouldn't he, but then reaches under the case and steals the umbrella. Um, Yeah, I I think this one is okay. Uh, Obviously, internal struggle, you'll have to show that a lot with the facial expressions and uh it's not necessarily a super visual way of showing internal although i suppose the uh the umbrella is internal to the glass case so uh it's probably okay probably clear enough della fuller on make a movie for liang which means couple a couple of my friend Lori is in the living room of my angie set so that's li and angie and the living room is third tone she has a couple of amazing dancing brooms that she would like to display in a glass case, but they are too long. She cuts the ends off of the broom with a razor blade so that they will fit. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's clear enough. We've got a couple of, you know, maybe, um, yeah, no, that, that should be fine. I'm like thinking that maybe there's a way to make it very clear that they're a set, but maybe they just look very similar. So that should be fine. Natalia Kovalenko on Make a Movie for Yen, which means to detest, to detest. Irina is playing in Andy's backyard with her favorite Pitbull, Prop 1. Suddenly, it starts to rain. Irina believes her Pitbull detests rain, so she puts a hard hat, Prop 2, on his head. Pitbull is furious. He actually doesn't mind rain, but absolutely detests having anything touch his head. So, I think that that is probably clear enough. Uh, I think that one thing that's good about detest is uh, the the universal human look of disgust. So maybe you can make the the pitbull a little bit cartoony and give the the look of disgust that you know people will have um, you know detest disgust to close enough. As long as that's clear, uh, it should be okay. Della Fuller, I make a movie for Jin, which means gold or metal. Jessica is trying to make a grand entrance at my EN set. She is wearing a gorgeous golden crown, and her servant is carrying a beautiful flowered parasol over her. Unfortunately, the parasol doesn't cover the fact that she has devil horns growing out of her head. (laughs) And they're making it difficult to keep the golden crown on her head. So, uh, looks good. We've got the uh, parasol crown and uh, devil horns and... It's, of course, a golden crown, so make sure it's nice and uh, shiny and very clearly gold to get across the, uh, the keyword, and you should be fine. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Tian, which can mean either like the heavens, or it can mean sky, or it can mean day. My friend Tamara is at the entrance of my AN set. She is enjoying a gin and tonic on the front patio and is basking in the sun. However, Clifford the Big Red Dog... Uh, comes bounding over to play he hasn't been groomed in months and his shaggy hair blocks all view of the sky when he stands over her she pulls out her handy razor clippers and gives him a much-needed haircut when she is done clifford is back to his handsome self and she can once more see the sky and enjoy the sun so we got contrast here can't see the sky using the props Uh, Using the razor blade prop to make the contrast show, now show the sky, this is an ideal scene. I like it all around. Della Fuller on make a movie for Swan, which means to calculate. Mike Wazowski is in the backyard of my AN set. As usual, he has gotten himself into some trouble. He has locked himself into handcuffs. Before noticing that there is no key to unlock them, Snow White has come to his rescue. Bamboo is the only material available in the backyard, so she is making careful calculations in order to create a key, so one of, a key out of one of, out of it, so she can free Mike. He is quite upset, so she reassures him, saying I calculate that I will have you free in just three more minutes, Mike, don't worry. So, uh, that's clear, we have the different um, props all represented uh, correctly, the the handcuffs, the bamboo, and the, uh, Mike Wazowski representing the, the eye component. And then uh, her calculations as she's making the calculations, I, I imagine like a montage of her using a calculator and her using a compass and like whatever. She's doing like clearly loads of calculations. We can maybe even imagine equations coming in and out of her head as she's thinking. <laughs> that could be kind of cool. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Lian, which means to get in touch with. My friend Lori is in my AN set kitchen. Her ear is throbbing and she really needs to get in touch with her doctor in order to have it checked. However, she is in so much pain that she has messed up her phone password too many times and now it is locked. So we have ear and the phone being locked and she can't get in touch with her doctor. The phone being locked is a representation of Gwen, Um, is okay. I wonder if that's always your prop for that because obviously the get in touch using the phone to get in touch is probably related to the meaning that said though in and of itself this scene is fine everything about it is clear and of course if she she was having a medical situation getting in touch with the doctor would be the primary focus Della fuller i make a movie for ma which is of course mom rbg is standing at the entrance of my a set matt damon comes Riding up on his horse, he shouts, Mom, is that you? I've been looking for you everywhere. RBG replies, No, sorry, but I'm sure she's very proud of you. I don't know who RBG is, but uh, I'm sure it's the representation of the um, female component here. Uh, yeah, it must be, because in the next uh, scene, it's also RBG. I wonder what RBG is. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, the, the scene is clear enough. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Hall. Heath Ledger walks into the living room of my AO set. RBG and Pee Wee Herman are already there, sitting on the couch and chatting. Heath says, good, now that you're both here, could you listen to me run through my lines? I don't know if I'm any good. So, RBG must be a person. I still am not exactly sure what Della means by RBG, but... Clearly a person, and both RBG and Pee Wee Herman are chatting. I don't think they're very involved in the scene. I think it would be very easy for you to remember them. So what we need to do is have this scene go a little bit further. Also, the keyword is represented by the word good. And sure, he says it in two different ways, so it's somewhat memorable. But what we should have is him running through his lines, and maybe you have a montage of Pee Wee Herman, RBG, and uh, uh, Heath Ledger Walking through the lines, and at the beginning, he's really bad, and then they you show the montage, and then by the end, he's very good. That'll make it a little bit clearer, and that will also get Pee Wee Herman and RBG a bit more involved in the scene. Final movie scene share for today is Natalia Kovalenko on Make a Movie for Tzin. Julia Roberts is in the bathroom of my EN location... Stepping on the scale, Prop 1, to check her weight and realizing that there's no way she's going to fit into that ball gown, Prop 2, she is having made for the Academy Awards. She's so embarrassed, she doesn't even want to go outside. She's trying to find out if there's a weight loss clinic nearby where she can go for a few days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, nearby, I guess you could uh, imagine that she's looking on the map uh, and looking for nearby locations. That could be okay. Um You know, uh, I think that that's probably like it's I'm just worried that that nearby representation isn't going to be clear enough. So make sure if she's looking on like Google Maps or something in your mind's eye that she's looking. Maybe you see several pins drop of weight loss clinics and she's looking for the one closest to her little GPS location. Uh, I think that that could be okay. Um, Awesome. Well, that's a great uh, set of comments and emails and mnemonic scene shares this week. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to com to learn more about the Mandarin Blueberry Method. And thank you, as always, for listening. My name is Phil Crimmins and we'll see you next week.